We've been in the, in the book of Job, and last week we surveyed through the counsel of Job's friends, the advice of Job's friends. Job is having this terrible trouble, this calamity in life, and his friends are quite sure that they know why, but they are wrong. Imagine it. There's some things that common sense doesn't answer. There's some things that the wisdom of the day doesn't have an answer for. How can Job know what's really going on? In our circumstances, in our situation, when our batteries died, we don't know what we're going to do. When we feel that being stranded, being left out there, what do we do? And, and why is God allowing this? What is God doing here? How can I know? Well, in that cycle of the Friends Council, they don't know. And we come to, at the end of that cycle, we come to kind of a pause in the book of Job, a, a, a kind of a sum-upping, a, a concluding of what do we know so far? What have we discovered up till now? And it begins, I want to talk through a little bit Chapters 26 to 31. It begins with chapter 26. Job's friends fall short. They don't know what they don't know. That's true with all of us, right? We don't know what we don't know. And Job's friends are not aware. They have blind spots of what they don't know about God's ways. I'll be careful about how well you've got God's ways figured out. We don't know what we don't know. In Job 26 and verse 14, Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways. How small a whisper do we hear of him. We don't have God all figured out. This reminds us that there's always more, there's always more to what God is doing than we can see, than we are aware of. Now, in chapters 29 to 31, there's a summary. Job is taking inventory himself. Job is looking back on his own life. Is there some reason I could see in me as to why these things are happening? Now he's not merely defending himself against his friends, but he's considering himself. And in chapter 29, if I could summarize it, Job is describing the blessing that he's had in life. He has experienced God's blessing of honor and glory, even honor received from others. And he's not saying that to brag. He's saying that, that the rest of the people around him, the society around him, they have honored Job as an honorable man who is, whose life is worthy of honor. That his testimony in the community is of a, of a good and godly man. As God himself said, he is blameless and upright. But suddenly, chapter 30, he describes how suddenly this calamity has come upon him and that God has humbled him seemingly without cause, and he doesn't know why. Because he goes over his life and the things that he has done, and in chapter 31, his life has indeed been upright and blameless without any cause of this calamity. The three friends' view of Job are wrong. Their view of how God works, how life works, was wrong. Job's, in his, Job in his grief, in his suffering, is also missing something. He doesn't understand why. He's missing something of God's bigger purposes. How could Job, how could we know what's really going on? 
The thrust of this section, 26 to 31, if you rolled it together, the main thrust is found near the center in chapter 28. Chapter 28 describes that human wisdom is unable to explain what God is doing and that humans are not able in ourselves to discover God's wisdom to explain what God is doing. That on our own, we can't know and we won't know. In chapter 28, it describes how humans dig for jewels and metals of great value. But wisdom cannot be found in creation, only from the Creator. It describes in poetic terms how men dangle down deep shafts from ropes and they, they scrape and claw bright and shiny and valuable things out of the earth, gold and precious, precious gems. But they cannot discover wisdom there. They cannot find it and mine it on their own. So where does wisdom come? There's the question that we get to in verse 20. And I want us to read from verse 20 through verse 28 of Job chapter 28. So, so open your Bible to Job 28. Find verse 20. Let's stand together as we read from God's word. Job 28, beginning from verse 20. From where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and death say, we've heard a rumor of it with our ears. God understands the way to it and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning or the thunder, when he saw it and declared it, he established it and searched it out, and he said to man, to humanity, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil, that is understanding. Father, Again, we ask, speak to us from your word. Lord, show us your wisdom. Father, help us trusting you in the midst of the troubles of life. Help us, Lord, not only to trust you in the troubles, Lord, but to trust you and your ways, to yield our will to your will. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please, please be seated. So we come to, this then is wisdom, or, or where, where does wisdom come from? The, the question is asked, where is the place of understanding? What is it that we're looking for? What is wisdom? What is understanding? Wisdom is special insight into the right way to live. How shall we then live? The old question, wisdom is the answer to it. It is skill in living. It is godly insight that sees the bigger picture, that sees how things really are not merely how they appear. In the Old Testament, wisdom is living life according to God's character and God's will. Thus, wisdom is fearing or submitting to God as God. As the old saying goes, God is God and I am not. Understanding flows out of wisdom and understanding, the Hebrew word here, benah, means to discern to distinguish between good and evil, 
It is understanding how to rightly choose among options in the midst of life situations. What should I do here? What would be the godly thing to do versus my own desire to do? As Joshua says, choose you this day who you will serve. Will you choose God's way, he asked them, or will you choose the way of the Canaanites? In the book of Judges, they chose the Canaanites. But wisdom is right perception, then that leads to understanding right action. It's seen rightly in order that we would choose to do what is right. Now, as much as we need it for, for, for life, we can't live then life rightly without God's wisdom, and yet it's not discoverable on our own. We will not mine it out. We won't search it out. It's hidden from the eyes of all living, verse 21 says. Even death. You think at the end of life, at the end of it all, in death, everything will be explained. Well, death says, yeah, we've, we've heard a rumor of God's wisdom. Death doesn't have the answer. Wisdom is from God himself. We will trust God's perspective over our own perspective because God's wisdom is higher than ours. God sees and knows more. His perspective is, is, is higher than ours. His perspective is broader than ours. It, it begins before us. It ends after us. We see that even in the book of Job. We're, we're given those early two chapters that Job doesn't get. Job doesn't know that that's going on in heaven. It's above Job. It's higher than Job. It's before Job enters into the story from his own experience. And so it is with everything that happens in our lives. Those first two chapters are not given to us to explain to us why this is happening to Job. Because we still have the same question. Why did God allow Satan to make the challenge? And why did God even, even suffer him an answer? Why still does God allow this for Job? The book of Job does not tell us why. The book of Job reminds us that God's ways are bigger than ours so that we can trust him in them. That's the purpose of the book. God's ways have always been higher than ours. This is nothing new. This is the theme that you find through Scripture. For instance, Isaiah 55, in verse 8, it says, God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. So are my thoughts higher than your thoughts, or your purposes, or your plans, or your agendas, or your schemes. You are a very bright group of people. But you don't know what you don't know. None of us do. We do not have it figured out. We stumble through life hoping we can make more decisions on the right side than the wrong side. Oh, there's the answer to financial planning, right? There's the answer to business success. If I can only make more right decisions than wrong decisions. But that's not a way to live walking with God. A little more right than wrong is if we're going to balance some scales. No, God invites us to walk with him. He calls us friends, not servants, but friends who know what our Father is doing. He calls us to walk according to his wisdom rather than according to the world's wisdom. 1 Corinthians plays out this, this difference, this contrast between the two. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? 
For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The natural person in chapter 2, the natural person, natural humanity does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to, to him. He's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. They are spiritually understood only. Without the Spirit of the living God, we cannot understand God's ways. Again, in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. What makes sense according to common sense is not necessarily God's way at all. James 3 has a dim view of this world's wisdom. If you have, a better, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambitions in your heart, do not boast and be false or lie to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly wisdom, unspiritual, demonic. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then it is peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And in your experience, that is just how the world works, isn't it? Pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. That is, by and large, in my experience, not how the world works. That is, left to myself, not how Bob works. But God has a whole different way of living that he intends to share with us, but we, though we do not find it in ourselves. There are two kinds of wisdom for how we shall live. There's that worldly wisdom and there is God's wisdom. There's two ways to understand life and what makes, how to make sense out of it and, and, and what, what's my perspective when things are happening that I don't understand. Are we going to live our way or are we going to live God's way? Will we live as if God is or will we live as if God is not? The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. But wait a minute, who made God God? Well, that's an interesting statement. Who died and made God God? Why is God in charge of me? Why cannot I be in charge of me? Why can't I not be the master of my own destiny, the captain of my own ship? Why does God have to be in charge? I've got this. Well, that's a lie from the pit of hell, isn't it? Doesn't that sound like Genesis chapter 3? <laughs> Don't listen to God. You've got this. You can do this. In fact, God knows if you just take, take it yourself, you could run with this thing. And God's just holding you back. That's a lie right out of hell. The authority of God's wisdom for life is rooted in his creation of life. When he gave, in verse 25, the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning or the thunder, when, and he saw it and declared, he established it and searched it out. He's going to remind, God is going to remind Job of this along the way. We haven't got there yet. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. We've got enough right here. But really... The authority of God's wisdom is rooted in his creation of life itself. I'm reminded of a cute story about when science arrived at the point that they could create life. Genetic and engineering had advanced and they could take the basic chemicals, the basic elements of life, and they could create a human life. And they gathered together and they said, God, we are now like you. 
We can do just as you did. You made human life, we can create human life. God says, okay, well, let's see it. So they gather together, they got everything organized in the lab, and then they're all ready to go, and so somebody goes out, just as God did, to grab a handful of the dust of the earth. And God says, whoa, stop there. He says, you get, I made that. You get your own dirt. And it just reminds us of the foolishness of what is it that we can do. What do you have that you did not receive? What do we have that God did not give us ultimately in his creation? And so the authority of God's wisdom is rooted in the creation. Basically, we're going back to the owner's manual. We're saying, God, I don't know where the battery is. I'm going to have to ask you because you're the one that made this life. You're the one who knows what it's about. Not only that, you're the one who knows what it's really for. You know what it is that makes this life worthwhile and valuable and what it's intended to look like and do. What does God then say wisdom is? What is the best perspective of life? Job 28 concludes, verse 28. He said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil, that is understanding. It is insight into how things really are, and it is choosing rightly in light of that understanding. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And this is not to say to be afraid of God. It is to recognize God as God, that God is not, God is and we are not. It's well, there are things when I was a child that I didn't dare to do because I don't know how. I don't know how mom would know, but she would know. I really thought for a while that mom must have, now I, would, I, would, I guess I would, I, would, I would assume it was surveillance video or something, but then I was sure it was eyes in the back of her head that were hidden by her hair. She always knew what I was up to. How could her hearing possibly be that good? I was being so quiet because I was a foolish child that didn't realize it was the quiet that she was listening for. Okay? I, I, I saved that when the kids were out of the room so they will not be in on your secrets, Mom. Okay? Listen for the quiet. Yeah. But there are times when temptation comes, even today, and my answer is no, I wouldn't dare because I am quite sure that my God and Father will not let me get away with that. If I were to dare to be so bold and to assert my own way and my own indulgence that way, God is going to call me out, point me out, and there's no way that I'm going to get away with it. In fear of the Lord, in fear of His goodness in realizing that God my loving father will not let me get away with it and he will hold me accountable well I'm not going to go there it is a trust a faith a confidence that God is God for me the fear of the Lord then is to, to trust him over myself, to yield not my will, but thy will be done. You are God. To apply that wisdom, understanding in the act of choosing, is, is to, to cho use God's standard, to choose what God tells me is profitable over foolish. Wisdom is heard when Job says, if we trust God in accepting good, shall we not also trust him in receiving evil?
we will trust God. I don't know why. Now, now, now the grief cycle swirls and makes that harder at times. And Job goes through that. But where else can we turn? Who else can we trust? Understanding is seen when Job chooses not to curse God when evil has befallen him. Understanding chooses not to assert my will and my understanding of the situation over and above God's will and his perspective. Even though, this is the tricky part, I don't know his perspective. You know, that's one of the things that makes this hard. It's not like I'm choosing between two perspectives because a lot of times I know that this is not right and I shouldn't be in the middle of it and I don't know what God's perspective is on it because he hasn't told me why. He hasn't told me what's good. He's only told me that he does work it for good. He's only told me that out of present suffering he is working glory, but he's not told me in this case what the glory is compared to the pain that I know. And my assumption is, focused on the pain, it can't possibly be worth this. But what if it is? And according to God's word, I have to assume his wisdom tells me it is. Faith in God as God means I have to trust him for that, even though I don't see it. I will trust God for what I don't see instead of what I do see and experience. That's the trick of it. Understanding is, uh, the fear of the Lord in its simplest terms is to acknowledge God as Lord, that we answer to Him, rather expecting God to answer or explain Himself to us. The turning away from evil, choices based on God being God, is to submit my will to choosing what God says is good, and say no to that thing that I may want to indulge in because a voice whispers into my head, it really won't matter anywhere. That's what he said in Genesis 3. Satan tells the woman, do not fear God and do not submit to his will. But instead, make her own choice according to how the fruit looks to her. These two have always been the cornerstone of how humans walk with God. Psalm 111, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and all who practice it have good understanding. Proverbs 15, The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Humility that yields myself to God as God. Humility that says, Not my will, but thy will. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13 almost the final verse in the book the end of the matter all has been heard fear God and do what he says fear God and do what he says the relationship of fear of the Lord and turning away from evil we see that same relationship in that balance of faith and works what we believe that leads to what we do Jesus said it if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He doesn't say, if you say that you love me, then you better keep my commandments. No, he says, if you do love me, you will. 
Out of love. The love of Christ compels, it constrains us, it pushes us on. We do what we do because we love him. We have Paul describes his ministry in the gospel in, in this phrase in Romans chapter 1 and verse 5. To bring about the obedience of faith. An obedience of God that comes from believing God. James says it most clearly. I will show you my faith by my works. That what we do shows what we are really believing. When I am walking in God's ways at a cost to myself, at some sacrifice, that's because I believe what God has said about it more than I believe my own experience. And what I immediately see is a benefit. Wisdom is trusting God's ways instead of my ways, therefore choosing God's will over my own will. Now Job, in his experience, in the suffering, he's searching for answers. He's, he's taken inventory of his own heart and his own actions, and in so doing, in chapter 31, as Job goes down the list of his own life, he helps us. Now, chapter 31 of the book of Job is not a to-do list for you and I, but what it does provide, as Job looks at his own life and takes inventory, it gives us some tangible practicals. What does it look like to choose his will instead of my will? What does it look like to live in understanding choosing God's ways rather than my ways? And so I'd invite you to look through chapter 31. I'll highlight some of what you'll find there. We're not going to look at each verse and look at each thing in its context that way because I invite you to do that on your own. But let me just whet your appetite. In Job 31, verses 1 and 9. Submitting myself to God's ways instead of my ways looks like guarding my eyes from lust and being faithful to my wife, being faithful to my spouse. I remember as a young guy in the Air Force, young single guy, uh, we're on a bus, we're headed to a weekend retreat. It wasn't called Rock Tumbler. Probably wasn't as good. But we're headed off to this retreat, and there's another guy, a little older than me, who's on the bus as well, and he and I get to talking, and he's been connected with the navigators, and he's, he's telling me about memorizing Scripture and how important that has been for his spiritual life. And one of the, th one of the examples he gives me, he says, I memorized this verse, verse years ago, and I'm a young guy. This, is, this conversation has got to be 40 years ago at least. And I still remember him. I still remember he has about as much hair then as I have now. I still remember the verse that he gave me. It is Job 31.1. I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then can I gaze at a maiden? How then, if I have made a covenant with God, if God tells me not to lust, how then can I look lustfully at another young woman? I will not. I will choose according to God's ways. That's what Job is saying here. In verses 5 to 7, submitting to God's ways means being honest in business and not cheating others for my own financial gain. In verse 13, it means walking in a humility that is able to receive correction from others. Is your first reaction one of defense or one of, hmm, I wonder how much of what I'm hearing is actually true and I need to deal with. Verses 16 to 21, it is giving help to the poor, widows, the fatherless, those lacking shelter. 
that I would give of my own resources according to the needs of others. Why would I do that? Because that's what God does. That's God's character and will that I submit to rather than caring only about myself. In verses 29 and 30, it means blessing one's enemy and praying for them because I have a longer range view like God does. They are my enemy now and yet they have an eternal need and there's an eternal destiny that I care about them because God cares about them. In verse 31 and 32 is generously sharing my provisions with others. Verses 33 and 34, it is not hiding my own sin out of fear of the opinion of others. Who will I fear? Will I fear what others think of me? Or will I fear God as God? If I fear God as God is the ultimate authority, that he's the one that knows life best, he's the best one to tell me what in life matters. Because if I leave that to myself, I'll screw it up. Trusting God and doing his will when life is not right requires you to trust God for what you don't yet see. But faith, we have the privilege of walking by faith, and faith has always been believing God for what we don't yet see. That's how it's defined in Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. Job is not meant to tell us why. Job is meant to say, trust me when you don't see. Because you know who I am. All the, when, when God speaks to Job in the, in, the, in, the, in the next week or so, I think we get, no, we get there after Elihu. So, so in a couple of weeks when we get there, when God speaks to Job, let me tip, your, tip my hand ahead of time. God doesn't tell him why. God only tells him who. God reminds him of who he is. And you know what? Surprisingly, that's enough for Job. We don't need to dig into all the whys. Lots of people will want to tell you maybe Why? That's not nearly as important as remembering who. Because the experience, the hardship, the, 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 the brokenness that we end up tasting of, that challenges our trust in God. And that's where faith is actually exercised. It's e much easier to trust God when everything is wonderful. When the bottom falls out. Why is it like this? It wasn't supposed to be like this. Can I still trust God then? That's where faith is tested and strengthened. Jesus said, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Peter grabs hold of that in 1 Peter 1.8. Though you do not see him, yet you believe in him. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says in verse 18, We look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For things that we see, they are transient, they are temporary, but the things that we do not see, those are eternal. I'm going to have to take God's word on it, though. I've never seen eternity. I've never seen heaven. I've never seen God's kingdom. I have no idea my role in it. For all of that, I must trust him. I don't even have an entrance card. You know, with my picture on it and a, a, a particular number and some of those security features that I would know that this is my uh, I'm right with God card that I can show him or anybody. I don't have one of those. All I have is God's promise. 
The one who has the Son of God has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Oh, I've believed in him. I've taken God as his word. And that's going to have to be enough. And what's true in our salvation, what we will hang our eternity on, is certainly enough for whatever comes today. To trust God that his wisdom includes what we don't see when we make choices concerning what we do see, that's what it is to walk by faith rather than sight. Not seeing but believing is true of salvation. It's also true in each and every trouble. Even if it doesn't seem right, I will trust God who loves me and is able to bring good out of the enemy's evil. How do I know that? Because God said it. That's the only reason I know it. How do I know that God loves me? Because God told me so. He, he interpreted Jesus' death on those terms. God so loved the world. He so loved me that he gave his son. That's the only reason I know. That's the only way that I know is based on what God said. It doesn't seem right, but God will bring good out of the enemy's evil. I can believe that because that's the truth of this table. This table that we all participated in this morning, that's the truth of it. That out of that terrible evil, the worst evil, injustice, and, and wrong that has ever been done in human experience was, was, was done to the one who was not only innocent of the charges against him, he was innocent of any charge. And yet these mere men, whom he had given breath and life to, these mere men would dare to take his life from him. And he humbly laid his life down. And it was terribly wrong. And hell rejoiced. And they waved their banners. And they danced in the streets. And yet look what God did from it. God from that horrible injustice has brought about eternal redemption and restoration. And that reminds us that what God said, that he is able to work together for good, all things, for those who are called according to his purposes. It is true. He will do it. He has done it. He continues to do it. Those persecuted Christians around the world that we prayed for, they believe God beyond what they presently see. They believe that even if we suffer for Jesus, as God's word said, we shall also be glorified with Jesus. They believe that this momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. Fearing the Lord as God, they and we choose to believe that Romans 8.18 is true that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is revealed to us. And if we really believe it, then we can enter into something of maybe what James means when he says, count it all joy when you, when you encounter various trials and troubles and sufferings. Count it all joy. James, are you crazy? No. James just believes God. And if it is this bad, and if it hurts this much, I can't wait to see what God is doing. And it's hard to wait. I do not mean to make light of that at all. But the promise is it will be worth it all. God does knows our way. God does know all of our ways.
we can know that his way for us will be best even though we don't yet see it. You may not be enduring persecution, but when you fear the Lord as God and trust him more than yourself or others, when you are willing to yield yourself to God's will and his ways rather than what makes sense to you and what makes common sense on Google, that's when you do his will instead of your wants. That's when you walk in the wisdom of God that fears the Lord, that believes that God indeed is God who loves me. Let's pray. Father, there are many difficulties that are being faced in this congregation this morning. Lord, there are hurts and sorrows. There are things that aren't right. There are messes that cause us to wonder why. And there are heartaches that cause us to call out, Oh Lord, how long? Lord, this doesn't make sense. But Father, we need in these things to trust you that everything that you've said is true. And the enemy has said in those early chapters that these are the very things that will show the weakness and the flimsiness and the thinness of our faith. Oh God, would you uphold us? Would you, would you allow these things to rather work gold? Would you allow, allow these things to work some good that is beyond our present sight, but our simple willingness or stubbornness to trust you because you said that you know our ways, our times are in your hands, and that you have our eternal best in your purposes. And we will trust you for that. Father, use these things to strengthen our faith. Lord, give us the confidence in your ways that would lead us to acknowledge you in our ways. To yield our desires to your will. And there's choices that we face. There's decisions today or tomorrow. Lord, let us have the courage to trust you instead of our own understanding. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.